0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're going to see in Ephesians 6, verse 10, that Paul, as he's concluding this letter, he's coming to the last wrap-up of the letter, and, and his, his final words are, finally, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not your own might, He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God, he says, that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it is against uh, rulers, against the the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you might be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, he says, stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, take up the shield of faith which is able, he says, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, these, this whole armor, he's just decked us out here spiritually with different pieces of armor to, well, some are for our protection. They're defensive pieces, actually, and some are offensive. You know, a sword is, can be defensive, but it's also an offensive weapon. And, and, but the shield, he said, take up a shield of faith. And, and, and with that shield, you'll be able to to extinguish all the arrows of the evil one, does the the flaming arrows he calls it? Does that you anyone here ever felt like the devil is sending flaming arrows at you? That he's he's just taking you and using you for for target practice. Let me just shoot you and sting you with this thing. That rascal, he's up to no good. But Paul, he knew that there is a spiritual battle. Now, how many of you are aware there's a spiritual battle going on around us? He says, in this battle that we face, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your relatives. It's not against your, 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 your siblings. It's, not, it's against spiritual forces. There are spiritual forces, it says, of wickedness. And sometimes they'll be whispering in, in, into your relatives' ears. You know, you might be having a lot of trouble with one of your cousins or aunties. And, and they're just really wanting to bicker and fight with you. And you're like, What's the pro- what stirred them up? Well let me tell you, there is a the longer you live, the more you become aware. There is a devil out there doing his his rascally work and he's he is he is willing to do anything he can to cause striving in the church today and in our lives. And we can't just like act like eh, it doesn't happen. It happens. It happens all the time. He's he's at work, and so Paul says, Finally, I want you to be strong in the Lord but not in your own strength, in his strength, the strength of his might, because he's really strong. And I want you to now put on this full armor so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Maybe you're not aware of it, but the devil is scheming against you. And like my son Daniel says, he says, Dad, I think he's had a little more practice at this than we have. He's been at this for, since mankind was around. He's been perfecting his ammo and i tell him he really doesn't have to work too hard because if it's not broken don't fix it he he's been using the lust of the flesh like when john wrote first john he said in the world there's the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life they all they're all in opposition to to the lord they all come against the but these lusts the devil knows them well and he knows how to how to tempt people into those boastful ways or into those fleshly, carnal ways. Just dangle a little bit of uh, of fleshly, scantily clad bottles on the advertising. And the devil knows how to stumble men in their frailty. And so Paul, he doesn't want us to fall for the schemes of the devil. So he says, put on this full armor. Now, I want to take a minute to go through each piece of the dawning of this armor. We're going to put on each piece spiritually for us. Because each piece has a different role to play in our lives. And the fact that we have a struggle not against flesh and blood, against rulers and powers, and against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, that's, to me, not even something I have to harp on. You all know that. You know there's a battle out there. But we really need a little reminder to put all the full armor of God on. Some Christians, I remember Randy, our drummer, he said at men's prayer meeting one day, we were, well, you know, it says to put on all these pieces of armor. And he says, but I notice most Christians today, they put on the helmet of salvation, because that's that thing that guards our mind and and gives us that conscience, awareness that we're saved. We put the helmet of salvation on, but then we don't put the rest of the armor on. He said, we're, he, he said, we're like spiritual streakers without any other proper attire on. Because all we care about is, well, are you saved? And he said, a lot of the Christians today, that, that's been the emphasis in the churches: Are you saved? Do you have the helmet of salvation? you got to have that piece. I said, yes, you have to have that piece. But did, is that the first piece of armor that Paul tells the church at Ephesus to put on? The helmet. Does he go, put on your helmet so you can run around naked with just your helmet on, right? No. He says, be- wait, wait, let's go piece by piece the way Paul puts it down for us. I think there's some wisdom to this. He says, therefore, take up, now he doesn't say one piece of armor or whichever pieces you feel like putting on. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, he says, Stand firm, therefore. Now, sometimes it might sound even oversimplified, but I think that's what we need, is that having done everything to stand firm in your faith, sometimes all you need is an encouraging word to keep standing. Just stand. Just, you, you started off well in your faith, just keep standing. Don't, don't, don't go anywhere. Don't quit you know, the Bible says, don't grow weary of well-doing. In due season will reap a reward from the Lord. Don't Now, why does it say don't grow weary? Because we grow weary. Why does it have to repeat, stand firm? Even after you've done everything to stand firm, therefore, he says, stand firm. Wait, you just said that. That's right. Because sometimes we get weak in the knees. We see... the the devil at work and and we start getting a little knocky need and start getting afraid and and we instead of standing firm in the battle we run we tuck tail and we we run the wrong way paul says don't do that you have some armor to put on armor that will keep you from the devil and his schemes they'll take care of what he's going to throw at you you just need to stand firm and put it on so let's look at the pieces he said to start with. Not the helmet. We'll get to that. But he says, Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I love this because Paul is actually quoting from two places in Isaiah. Now, Paul, Paul before he was converted by the Lord, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he also had a title in the Jewish culture that was a very well, very accomplished in the the Jewish uh, studies. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. To have that title meant he was like the top of the top of the class in the Pharisee school. He uh, studied under Gamaliel. He was one of the chief rabbis of the days of Jesus. And he was very, very well-known, but tough. The, The scholars write about him. He was one of the hardest teachers on his students. And to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, you had to actually hand write out every jaw, jo- every tittle, every, every little inflection of the vowels in Hebrew over every consonant, You're, the whole entire scroll of Isaiah. And you had to commit it to memory. Now I'm sure that Paul, when he was Saul, he had a little time with this scroll of Isaiah. And I, I say that because not too many Christians realize what he's talking about when he says put on this breastplate and put on this, this girding of your loins with truth, that these aren't, aren't things he came up with himself. These are quotes from Isaiah. These are direct quotes, actually. In fact, I want to show you the first one. It's found in Isaiah 11. So, Isaiah 11, verse 5, says that, and I love this because this is the, the passage what talks about the righteous, the, the shoot, that will come that will spring from the stem of Jesse and his branch from its roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is Isaiah 11 1 and 2 I was reading the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see nor make his decision by what his ears hear but with righteousness he will judge the poor. He will decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also the righteous will be the belt about his loins and the faithfulness, it says the faithfulness, the belt about his waist. That's Isaiah. And the wolf will dwell with what? The lamb. You guys have heard this passage, right? Isaiah 11. Who's it talking about this this shoot that will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, the branch that would bear fruit. Who, who is this one that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon? That's Jesus. And he would be the one that righteousness would be the belt about his loins. Okay? Jesus would be the one that would have around his loins, that's your midsection, a belt. Now this belt was used to take the robe that they would wear and when they would get ready for battle, they would roll the robe up for the gals. They know, you wear a long dress and you try to run. How's your stride? You're like stuck in a little tube. <laughs> you can take little steps and real difficult to run. But in the biblical days, when they, the men were wearing these robes and they got into battle, they would roll the robe up over the hips, over and around the waist. You don't want the robe to, to slip down and impede your, your run while you're in the battle. So you roll it up. You take your belt, you tie it around, right? Nice and tight on the midsection. And then you take the other strap and you tie it down around the waist so that it can't come down. Sounds over but it's kind of important. You don't want your robe putting you out of, the, out of the fight, so to speak. So it was a something in their culture. They understood the idea of rolling up your robe and getting ready. Now, we're getting ready for a battle. And we're getting ready to fight this battle. And the very first piece, very first instruction, now think about this, is we're we're gonna stand our ground. But in getting ready to stand our ground, Paul says, you gotta roll up your robe, put your belt around it. In other words, what's he saying? You have to be ready for the fight. You can't, you leave your robe down. The enemy's got you. You can't run, you can't run, you can't advance. I'm not talking about run away. I'm talking about you can't even run to, into the fight. you be doing the little trot with your, with your legs in your robe. You'd just be stuck. So the very first thing he says, now this will help you to remember this, when you think about them getting ready for battle, they didn't put their helmet on first. They got their robe out of the way first. Put it up around the waist, tied the belt, and he has the very special belt. Now Paul, when he's telling us as believers in Ephesians to, to put on this belt of truth, he says, get this belt and put it around this belt uh, around your waist, girding your loins with truth. So put it around. Now, I like that in Isaiah it says, and it not only is it the truth, but he says, and the faithfulness is that second strap that is tied that around the waist. He says, faithfulness. We need faith, don't we? To fight the battle of the, that we face against the devil. And then Paul he says, "Then, having put on the breastplate of righteousness." Now this is a quote from Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 17 is another one of these passages that talks about Jesus. It's interesting, Paul Paul is taking these prophetic passages and saying, "Here's what the Lord did. He had his belt of truth and righteousness around his wit, girded around his loins. So what should we do? Who do we follow anyway? Who's our commander? Jesus, so we're going to get ready for battle. I'm going, to, I'm going to watch my chief general, what he does. Whatever he does, that's what we should do. And so we read here in Isaiah 59, verse 17. And it says, and he put on righteousness like a breastplate. And then, what's it say in the next verse? And the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. Wow, the Lord didn't go, I'm kind of shy about the whole battle thing. He wrapped his, he wrapped himself with zeal. Zeal, uh, zeal. you know when someone's zealous, they're ready to go. They're there, I'm game, let's go, you know. This is the Lord. Then he said, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Isaiah 52, by the way, this is just a quote from Isaiah 52, 7 where we see, again, another passage of Jesus being spoken of. This is the lead-in. By the way, Isaiah 52 and 53, to, to this day, in Jewish synagogue, they don't allow these passages to be read. They say they're t- too difficult to understand who the writer is speaking of. Wait a minute. The writer Isaiah, that they quote all the other times, but they don't want to quote in 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 this... Let me just show you what they do. In Isaiah 52, it says in verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. That's the Lord telling them, I'm speaking to you. And how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they see with their own eyes, and the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people and has redeemed Jerusalem. Now that doesn't seem too hard to me. Talking about the Lord's going to redeem Jerusalem. And the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all nations that that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you, you will not go out into, in haste, nor will you go out as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now they do quote I, verse 12, the only one, this whole passage, that they, they, they like that part. God's going to be before us, and he's going to be our rear guard. We, we, we accept that. But the rest, we say, it's a little too difficult to, to understand who he, the prophet is talking about. Let me read it to you. Tell me if you can tell who he's talking about. He says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man. His form more than any than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had, had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Verse 1 of Isaiah 53. This one is completely off limits to them. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. and and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our uh, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed or bruised for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being or our peace fell upon him. And by his stripes, his scourgings, we are what? Who's this about talking about? It's all about Jesus. And all of us like sheep have gone astray, verse 6 says. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter like a sheep that is silent before his shearers so he did not open his mouth you guys know that verse gets quoted and actually pointed out in the book of acts in chapter 8 in one of the sermons given their preaching jesus saying he was the one who didn't open like like a lamb that was silent, like a sheep. He didn't. He didn't open his mouth. And by oppression and judgment, he has taken away. I said, I'm sorry. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with a wicked man. Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth how you like that he gets to he gets to be hung with remember with the uh the thieves the wicked men and with a rich man it says in his that you guys remember joseph the the wealthy man that came and, and said could i have his body please i'll i'll put him in my own tomb he was wealthy had a garden tomb nearby and they say this is too difficult to understand this passage isaiah 53 says, But the Lord was pleased, verse 10, to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By the, by, his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will lot him a portion with the great, he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and he was numbered with the transgressors yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Now they go, uh, this is too difficult to understand. We don't know what this is about. This is the Jewish rabbis. This is, we, we don't, well, the Bible says there's a veil over their eyes right now. They don't, they don't see clearly. When you don't want to acknowledge Jesus as the Lord, God gives you over to a spirit of stupor. That's all the time we have for today's lesson. We'll pick up where we left off next week. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original
1: Calvary Chapel Kona.